Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. This year, which is coming to a close, we've been exploring the digital revolution. We might still be doing that in 2023. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. I think it'll still be going on, but we need to probe into the bigger brains of people like Christopher Lockhead, multiple best time, uh, best selling author, podcaster, all around good guy, and uh, one of my very, very dear friends. Christopher, it is great to see you. How are you doing today? Bob Evans, I'm stoked to see you. You look handsome as, as, as ever, although I'm a little concerned. Where's the black turtleneck? Oh, it's underneath the sweater. Oh, see, I thought it was just a T-shirt. It was kind of tucked under there. Okay, so we just added the blue sweater. Okay, well, if you want to add to the outfit, I guess you're allowed to, but the core needs to remain. Core, yeah, the core. Don't change the core. No, because, you know, and I, folks, I got to give credit to this guy because before he came on, I had the black thing and he said, you know, some blue would pick up the blue in the wall and, you know, the so Chris, that, you know, as if you don't do enough already, the fashion advice is terrific. So thank terrific. you. Terrific. Anytime, Bob. So there's, uh, I think there was a time long ago when the summer was slow and sort of the holiday season, things got slow. Things don't get slow around here anymore, Chris. I know it's a lot bubbling up and percolating. And I think to that wonderful, wonderful brain of yours, you have always interesting takes on things. So love to hear uh, in December here, what is on your mind and, you know, what do you think about it? So at a minimum, I think we should talk about three things. One, you naming Saffron. Cats, the cloud CEO of the year. I think that's an important topic. Two, Sam Bankman Freed and some things about him that maybe aren't getting talked about that much. You're a friend and, of his, right? Well, we're friends on LinkedIn. But <laughs> well, see, then I'll see this is an interesting thing from a legal perspective. Should I, because we're LinkedIn friends, will I be subpoenaed? <laughs> Does that mean anything? Well, I think people are going to be coming to you to chase some of that cash that he says he no longer has. Well, I, hey, Chris Lockhead's his buddy. How about him? Yeah, you know, so uh, maybe we're going ahead here. But so <laughs> I listened to a bunch of these interviews. This guy went on a press tour like no other, which is part of the connection between him and, and Princess Markle and, and Prince Han ah, Hansel. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so we're, we'll get to that connection in a second. But so we just had um, Jim Campbell on Follow Your Different. And Jim's the guy that wrote the book on Madoff. It's a book. The book's called Madoff Talks. And he befriended Ruth Madoff. They're from the same town as fate would have it. He's a, he's a journalist. He's got a big radio show. And so he got to meet Bernie after he was in prison. And he became Bernie Madoff's pe pen pal. And so he wrote this book, Madoff Talks, which is riveting. I think it should be mandatory in all business schools and mandatory reading for anybody in a regulatory um, kind of a job. Okay. Anyway, when this Sam Bankman freed FTX thing blew up, I reached out to Jim and I said, Hey, uh, are you tracking this? And of course he was because he, you know, he, um, he was the first guy to interview, uh, uh, Spitzer after Elliot Spitzer, after his fall from grace. And, you know, he's been, he's been the man on the spot with a lot of these scandals. He was right there on Enron. Anyway, so uh, we had a f fantastic conversation, uh, Jim and I, about this guy, SBF. And long story longer, I asked Jim in the history of these kinds of corporate scandals, because he's the learned one, have we ever seen anybody go on this kind of a tour? And, and just to be clear, it it this guy seems to have given 
over 20 podcast interviews since his company declared bankruptcy. And uh, he did it with the Wall Street Journal. He did it with the New York Times at their big deal book conference, showed up from Bahamas on Zoom. And um, and what Jim said to me is we've never had a, a corporate criminal, a white collar criminal go on any kind of a speaking tour like this before. Well, uh, Chris, you're, I, I, I don't know. I got to defer to you since you're sort of connected to the guy, but uh, it, it is weird. <laughs> I'm not connected to the guy. Uh, okay, okay, We're okay. friends on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's my connection. Sure. Um, no, it, <laughs> I, 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 I think for reasons of self-preservation and san and my sanity, I've tried to limit how much I, I listen to or read about that guy. But to me, I get the impression he thinks it's all a big joke, right? Like he was playing a video game somewhere and uh, the other team racked up more points. Um, I, I don't know either that Chris, or he's an astonishingly good liar. Um, he seems to me from the little bit I've seen to think it's like, mm, Hey, you know, I got smoked out here. It happens anyway. Yeah. Let's let's, as they say, move on. Yeah, well, move on. It's eight to ten billion, um, and there are many people talking about. There's a ripple effect that could be uh, significantly larger. So we we won't know for a period of time how big this thing uh, really is. But if you believe the charges against him by the U.S. government, they are clearly stating that this was not what um, had been speculated, which is uh, you know. His, he has two firms. One's a uh, an exchange. One's a trading firm, which of course is a conflict of interest in of itself. Um, and that that one the 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 Alameda got into trouble, and so the exchange FTX lent Alameda some money, and uh, things unraveled, and he thought he could put Humpty Dumpty back together quickly, and and it just got away from him. That's one scenario. There's another scenario that said that. Well, he was also the creator of a, his own coin, and so maybe this was there was some sort of manipulation with customers' money of the coin to try to create um, fake stability in that coin, et cetera, et cetera. So there are all these theories about how maybe this guy was a well-intentioned guy who got into a little bit of trouble, did something, quote-unquote, on or over the margin, and things got away from him. Well, the government uh, says that's not the case. The government says this was the scam from the start. And so uh, it appears this is, a, a, if the government's right, and again, more information is coming out almost daily, um, we'll find out more as time goes on. But if their charges are directionally correct, and if you believe John Ray, who is now the CEO of FTX, who was the cleanup CEO at Enron, what about what a career this guy's having? Unbelievable. Uh, I, I mean that in a laudatory way. Um, then this is not the case. Here's here's one. Here we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to an oracle connection. You ready for this? I'm a little afraid, but yes. It it, it came out. John Ray said in his uh, testifying in front of the Senate that um, FTX was still using QuickBooks. And as you may know, I have some friends at Oracle NetSuite, and they sponsored my podcast for years, and so I couldn't help myself. I could not help myself. There was a, I found a clip on Twitter of two talking heads on CNBC sort of talking about the insanity of a multi-billion dollar crypto exchange using QuickBooks. 
And I tweeted something to the effect of um, maybe never would have happened if they upgraded to NetSuite. <laughs> <laughs> you got to find uh, uh, humor in the gallows. Um, but but yeah. the point being that um, it looks like this, uh, there's a very good possibility here that this was a crime from the beginning. And one of the very interesting things about this. So what Jim helped me do was compare and contrast what he knows about Madoff, which is extraordinary, probably more than just about anybody. And what we know so far about SBF. And one of the interesting things is, if you remember, uh, Madoff's sons turned him in once they found out. And and Madoff, while did not acting alone, acted as close to alone yeah. as possible. He had a legit company on one floor and an illegit company on another floor. And the Ponzi scheme, illegitimate company, very few people had access to any of it, including his kids. There's uh, Jim does not believe that his wife or his children knew about the scam. Um, and as a result, or or maybe you know, partially as a result, Bob, when Madoff was arrested, he immediately admitted guilt. Um, the scenario we have here that is obviously radically different is... Uh, once this guy got caught, first of all, he wasn't caught. His 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 exchange blew up on his face, and on when it first started to happen, um, the CEO of a competitive exchange said he was concerned about the company and was taking all of his money off FDX, and that that caused a run. And um, SBF said, "Oh no, everything, nothing to see here. There's no little man behind the curtain." And then the next day, literally tweeted, "Oh fuck! I think this is a problem." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, the guy. And so the, the my point is that not only did the guy not admit defeat the way Madoff did, he went on what was plus or minus a three or four week speaking tour. Yeah, yeah. It's just extraordinary, you know. I I have uh, read quite a bit about what the new CEO Ray has said and you know i assume this guy's coming in as the ceo uh of this firm if there's any chance to save it he's going to try to save it but he's also you know as you said from it, his history his reputation with enron other things uh he said i've never seen anything like this and he's he's been saying that every day i think we've sort of hit the bottom and i can't be astonished anymore at how incredibly lax everything here was but he said i continue to be surprised so uh, Chris, I, I was scribbling just a second ago. There's a line from uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. And uh, it's just before the, the goofs out in the woods go and put their little play on. And, and so the, the head troublemaker says, now let us their fair pageant see, Lord, what fools these mortals be. And uh, I... I that can get to be depressing. You read about this SBF guy and you get some understanding of how he thinks or what how his brain works, what he thinks of right and wrong and all that. But then you see so many extraordinary things at the other end of the spectrum, thank goodness, to restore, you know, some faith in humanity, uh, younger generations, all of that. Uh, anyway, I don't mean to make to go overboard with this, but when you talk about that eight, 10 billion, the chain that could cascade to other people, the individual people who got 
or getting or got built in this. And that's just gone forever. I mean, there's this is not some goofy victimless crime thing. This is a horrendous, horrendous uh, mess that's been created. Yes. Yes. And we'll see what we saw with Madoff is what Jim anticipates, which is there were people who were highly overweight in this stuff and therefore big customers who have lost, if not all, then meaningful parts of their life savings. And these are very real people who made this investment, trusting that things were a certain way um, and they were not. And the other part of this, so I think there's two big things. One is, I think um, the way the press has reacted to this guy is disgusting uh, in that, you know, they've given him a free pass and they've called this a Greek tragedy and they've said <laughs> this and that. And it's like, no, 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 no. Um, this is called a crime. Yeah. A very, to your point, a very serious fucking crime committed by what appears to be, if you believe the initial reports, and again, I don't know anything that anybody else doesn't know that isn't publicly available, but a calculated crime architected and executed by a very sophisticated criminal whose parents are Stanford law professors. Yeah. So, so, so that's the first piece. And people say, well, you know, the, the press didn't do this properly. I would agree. And what's worse, not only did the press not un uncover it, which, you know, is fine. The press can't uncover all scams. Yeah. But uh, after it came out, there was, a, and still to this day, there's some laudatory press towards this guy. And to your point, it's time to make crime illegal in the United States of America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I agree with the, the, uh, express and the underlying uh, value of what you said there, Chris. So, you know, I, I just from what you were just saying there, I want to just think back on, because you started to bring Bernie Madoff in this, and I was thinking, wow, okay, so we're, we're sort of dredging up the, the rogues gallery here. But your discussion about what your, your buddy, the author, Jim Campbell, has said, that Madoff, Jim doesn't think that Madoff's wife or children, adult children, knew about what he was doing. So if that is true, I have no reason to think it isn't true, but imagine what was going on in this one person's brain, made off, right? Legit company, illegit company. He's got his brain probably partitioned off, right? This is what I can say to people. This is what I can't say. Tell my wife, tell my children. And, and I'm just amazed at the human brain. I'm just glad that there seems, to, I, I think we're at 50-50, Chris. Maybe I want to have it tilt more toward good, but people whose brains are altered in ways that push toward the good and doing right things as opposed to, you know, some other people just say, no, no, I can, I can pull off this scam. Nobody will know. I won't tell anybody. That had to be utterly exhausting. How do you, how do you do that? Uh, so your, it's interesting you bring that up because Jim and I talked about that. Um, and you might recall a little while back we had on Follow Your Different, a gal who goes by a pseudonym, M.E. Thomas. And she is purported to be the first uh, psychopath, sociopath to come public and declare herself as such. And she wrote a book called Confessions of a Sociopath, which um, I did my best to read. It's 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 a tough read. Um. And one of the things that Emmy says, well, first she says that the connection between psychopathy and violence is not proven. 
So she argues that not only is a psychopath less likely to be violent than than a normal brain person, but is uh, or or more likely is actually less likely. And her reason for saying that, and I'm just parroting what she told me, so I, I I'm just telling you. She says that a psychopath is highly self-oriented, highly egocentric, and um, practices situational ethics. That is to say, will do whatever they think is right in the moment for them, even if it conflicts with something they said two moments ago. So unlike you and I, who could make a commitment to each other, and if it became a little less convenient to honor that commitment, as honorable people, we more than likely would, psychopaths will just decide in a moment whatever's right in that moment. So she said that's the reason that that psychopaths are a lot less likely to be violent because they know that being violent would put them in jail and they don't want to be in jail and they're very um, egotistical. I don't know whether that's right or not. That's just her statement. Here's the other statement she made. Approximately one in a hundred people are psychopaths. And if you Google around, you'll see that number. I don't know how the fuck you know that. I don't know who knows that. I, But if any of this is remotely close to directionally right, there is a certain uh, uh, type of person who does have the, the primary trait of a psychopath is a uh, no emotional empathy, as she described it. They have intellectual empathy. So when you say to her, oh, something horrible just happened on that. There was a school shooting or the or a war or what, you know, any horrible thing that happens in our world. You know, I'm somebody who, when I fire up my browser in the morning and hear there's been a school shooting in our country, I tear up. Well, that doesn't happen for her. She says intellectually she understands it's terrible, but she doesn't she doesn't tear up. Uh, and so there's a chance what's going on here is, and again, I don't know, but that these folks have a almost a psycho psychopathy around this. You know, what Jim said to me is, Madoff knew, of course, he was writing this book about him, and that's why they were pen pals. And Madoff blamed his situation on the investors. Madoff said they were greedy. They wanted returns. They should have known better. I was just trying to make everybody happy. They pushed me to do this. And in a very real way, as crazy as it might seem to you and I, the reason Madoff became Jim's pen pal was he was hoping that Jim's book would somehow exonerate Madoff. If I only had the opportunity to tell people what really was going on. And so what Jim said is these kinds of characters got to where they got to because they can talk. Bernie Madoff was the chairman of NASDAQ. You, you cannot be more sort of honored in Wall Street to be the chairman of one of the major exchanges went to all the ding-dong parties, all the ding-dong charity events at the ding-dong museums with all the celebrities and all the politicians and you name it. And the interesting thing is that's what this guy did too. Draped himself in celebrity, draped himself in politics, draped himself in an aura of uh, trust. Stanford law parents went to the best schools, super smart whiz bang kid even the image with the you know the roughly t-shirts and the, and the and the crazy hair is all part of this sort of you know almost um uh, einstein-esque geniusy vibe thing going on yeah and so they're able to create this aura of ultimate trust which in jim's words is exactly how they're able to perpetrate these crimes uh -huh.
Uh-huh. And then also, Chris, on a, a much shallower note, but that's also something I could just see the way the media is today, that they would say, oh, but he's so cool. And, you know, he, what was that term? He came up with something like effective philanthropy or some bullshit thing like this. Uh, it was some some professor had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he had wrapped himself in. Oh, I'm going to give this all away. And I, the only reason I did this was I the genius that I am when I was at MIT, I took these astrophysics courses. And what I learned is if I could make $20 zillion in 10 minutes, I could donate all the money and uh-huh. I would become the uh, JP Morgan meets mother Teresa of the modern era and all this bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It, it they, was really they, good bullshit. They just gobbled that up. But I think as much as I tried to avoid it, I caught some glimpses of his post collapse media tour podcast tour that you referred to. And I know in one of them, he just came out and admitted it. He used the term shibboleth. He said, if you just are willing to utter the right shibboleths in the right way enough times to the right people, he said, you build up this veneer, you got it, man. They will, they will give you the credibility that you're seeking. So back to your thread of these guys uh, are able to do this because they're good talkers. Yes. Um, Chris, and and what know, Jim thinks is the reason he went on this talking tour. So when something like this happens, the perpetrator of it has a choice to make. You can either say you're completely incompetent or you're a criminal. And so SBF clearly chose incompetent. And said, oh, I was only a kid. I was only in my 20s. He just recently, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, turned 30. And I didn't know any better. And 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 he had, I got to a point where I couldn't listen to him anymore because his the answers to his questions, you know, listen, I'm not the dumbest guy in the world. I do drink a lot, but, you know, but he would give these questions. So my favorite question, of course, is where's the money, Lebowski? And his answer to the question, I can't even recreate the answer. I mean, it is the most unbelievable connection of Bisno, Wall Street, trader, crypto, pseudo intellectual mumbo jumbo. But it basically the answer is the dog ate my homework. <laughs> That's the answer. Yeah. And here's what I know. If the dog ate that guy's homework, that dog shit is the most valuable dog shit in the history of dog shit. Now, let's get to what everybody's getting wrong about this. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is the end of crypto. This is the end of crypto. Uh, I believe his name is Brian Johnson, the CEO of Coinbase, just came out, took their numbers radically down for next year, their stock tanked, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so this is the end of crypto. This is the end of crypto. This is the end of crypto. This is not the end of crypto. As a matter of fact, um, in some ways, you need something like this, although God only knows it didn't have to be at this scale, to, to, get, to get regulators focused on what they need to be focused on. But here's the, here's the aha. Native digitals think analog money is stupid. And in a native digital world, they're right. And the amount of the amount of analog toll takers there are in the financial system who add almost no or or no value whatsoever simply to move money around um, is incredible. And so the promise of blockchain and crypto, in my mind, remains. And what we have here is a classic situation where uh, 
uh, when something's new, when something's generally not well understood, um, and when something's generally not regulated, you're going to end up here. So I think at the end, in the end of the day, the crypto world will be stronger for this because we'll get some of the regulation that we have that make some of these things hard. Although Madoff proved you can get away with bad shit in the in the legacy world um, very easily. But I think this is it's a mistake to say this is the end of crypto. And I'm not a buyer yet, and I'm no stockbroker, and I'm certainly not giving anybody any investment advice. However, I will be in the near to medium term future. Um, I will begin to buy um, some crypto for sure, because it, it just the long term um, category potential is not changed, in my opinion, in spite of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, well, here's my fear. So the government's going to get actively involved and the government's going to create regulation. So do you remember, Bob, uh, I believe it was 2015, maybe 2016, somewhere in there when uh, Zuckerberg was called to uh, testify in front of Congress. Do you remember that? I do. Um, do you remember when Congress, members of Congress who are elected to govern the greatest country in the world asked him questions like, well, if, um, Mr. Zuckerberg, if nobody pays for your service, how do you make money? And he said, well, uh, I think it was Orrin Hatch, Senator Orrin Hatch, if I'm not mistaken. He said, well, Senator Hatch, um, we sell ads. And that's why they were there, to talk about how they do that. And so you have a situation where there are people in Congress who have their emails, quote unquote, printed out to them because they don't call them emails, they call them memos and handed to them by quote unquote assistants or god forbid secretaries and then they dictate the response to which the quote unquote secretary responds to the quote unquote memo and so i think one of the challenges we are now going to have is very recently the government in our country was debating whether or not they try to shut crypto down or empower it and surround it with the proper regulation. Just that the fact that that was a question yeah. shows us how far out of touch our lawmakers are with the digital world that you and I live in. Yeah. Yeah. I sure agree with you. I sure agree with you. Um, well, my hope on it is a little hippocratic oathy which is i hope the harm that they do is minimal and uh but i i don't expect that uh and i just hope that you know in the two or three years it'll take them to figure out how to mess things up that advances will be made and things can be calmed down but chris if it's okay this this is really fascinating and i'm not at all surprised that you uh got into this in ways with people like Jim Campbell, the author who was on, you know, uh, your show and pulling together these very different threads about it. And this point you've made at the end here, like this was an individual, this was not an industry. This was not a technology problem. It's not a crypto problem. This was an individual problem. So yeah, I hope we don't get into when, when the that. truth comes out, there'll be more than one individual. So it, it will probably be, many individuals however um i know many of the people in the crypto industry i know some of the investors and entrepreneurs who've been in the industry since it became 
the category that it started. And um, and look, you can always be wrong about somebody, of course. But in general, I believe there are many, many very talented, incredible entrepreneurs, technologists, software developers, entrepreneurs, uh, uh, venture capitalists, uh, and so forth, trying to authentically do good things here. Are they all Mother Teresa? No. Listen, the free market is a good uh, motivator. Um, so I think there's a lot of good people in crypto. Um, and the interesting thing is, when you have the realization that the government literally doesn't know enough to regulate this, it creates a fascinating dilemma, which is what's the role of the industry? What is the role of the senior leadership, um, whether it's in academia or the venture community, the banking and financial industry to come together and try to deal with some of this? Because um, I think that senators who have their their memos printed out for them are, are not the kinds of people that we should be um and i know we spent a lot of money trying to influence these people but um fucking a they they haven't even heard of venmo <laughs> who yeah, um, exactly chris the, uh when i was a uh, many decades ago when i was a cub reporter i got to go to this uh, presentation that a guy he was the at the time the chairman of the FCC his name was Reed Hunt uh, I just thought he was a jackass of the highest order but one of the things he was talking about here he said this legislation that you know the FCC has worked with the Senate to enact here this legislation to help regulate and control the cable industry will have far-reaching benefits for customers to the point we've even gone in and mandated how many times a phone ringing at a customer service center at a cable operator, how many times the phone can ring before it has to be answered. And even as you know, dumb and uh, narrow-minded or shallow-minded as I was at the time, I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> how are they going to hire people to watch how many times? The so anyway, because I don't have a lot of hope there. But uh, but in point of fact, what they did was they created duopolies, right? In my in my town, not a big town, but it's not a small town. There's one choice for high speed internet. Period. Or you can do satellite, or you can do a local provider who's I don't know. I think best offering is maybe half the speed. Yeah. So if you want high speed internet where I live, you're doing business with Comcast. And as we know, Comcast and United are in a death match for who can be the most hated company in America. <laughs> but there are pro government protected, uh, you know, duopoly yeah. is probably a, a nice way of saying it. Now here's the other interesting thing. So um, as all of this is happening, we have this unprecedented situation where this 30-year-old man goes and does a massive amount of public relations, trying to convince the world that he was stupid, not, not criminal or evil, and stave off being arrested. And uh, we've never seen this before. And uh, Jim Campbell said it on our podcast, and others have said it on in many other ways, that they can't imagine there would be a lawyer in the world that would tell this guy to go do this. Plus, he's, he did at least one major tweet storm, and he was fairly active on Twitter for much of this time period. And so you think, okay, so why are they doing this? Well, Jim's thesis was the one I mentioned, which is they're talkers, so they think they can talk them, their way out of it. Okay, that makes sense. Here's the difference between SBF and Madoff. 
SBF is a native digital. He's 30 years old. He was born in 19... Uh, I'm forgetting the date. Anyway, he was born when you and I were not exactly... You and I were barely young at the time. <laughs> 92, 93, somewhere in there? Some, somewhere in there. We were, we, were, we were certainly far out of diapers. Um, but so, so why does he do this? Okay, so just let that cook in your head for a second. And I, I accept the gym answer. That's probably a big part of the answer. But then the whole world right now is a kerfuffle about the uh, Meghan Markle, Harry, uh, Prince Harry, um, Netflix special series or whatever the fuck it is, right? And I saw yesterday, it's the number one thing on Netflix. And, and apparently most of the uh, excited kingdom thinks it's horrible and thinks she's horrible. And, you know, Meghan Markle is a hamster, is, tw is trending on Twitter and all this sort of stuff, right? So I thought, and I'm not into these these royals or celebrities or I don't know who any, I could give a flying fuck. Come on, former uh, Canadian, you don't just swoon over... Uh... All As I always say, when I meet somebody else from the Commonwealth, I say, hey, man, the Queen's on our money, too. <laughs> um, but anyway, I thought, OK, well, let me see what all the kerfuffles about. So I turned this thing on. Well, <laughs> I get a, I can only handle about 20 minutes, 20 minutes. You made it that long. Oh, I, I was trying to hold in the pocket. Wow. But, but here's here's what uh, I'll just relay my experience. It's roughly 20 minutes of them talking to themselves in their iPhones because so they decide that it's what what is happening is so consequential for the world that they need to um, they need to uh, have video journals of whatever of their journey and <laughs> see a video journal of our journey. And uh, Princess Markle says something to the effect of, um, you know, we're, we're we're sick and tired of everybody else telling our story. So we have to tell our story. And sure. that's and that's right after she talks about how disgusting it is that they were attacked and, 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 and hounded nonstop by the paparazzi and they just want to be left alone. So it's like, um, OK, let's stop here for a second. <laughs> First of all, who gives a shit about your story? This is one of the biggest myths perpetuated on this generation, which is that you need to get on social media and hear your journey, hear your story. No one cares. Nobody fucking cares. And we have the proof for our most recent book. We studied all the best-selling nonfiction books by category and the two top categories by a mile. You and I talked about this, personal growth and development and personal finance not biographies no one cares and look are there some people who oh i love to see the intimate moments of them behind closed doors and megan marco with their hair up in a towel and like really that's where your life's at okay you want to see megan markle in a towel on her hair all right um and and that today if you noticed everybody's a professional fucking victim today so they're all oh, they're victims of the horrible evil a monarchy and maybe the monarchy is horrible and evil i don't know i never went i never spent a day with um the queen or the, now the king or I, I have no idea and i pay zero attention maybe they are the world's most horrible people i have no idea but you don't have to get on social media and tell everybody all this stuff 
So I don't know what's going on today with this need to expose oneself at a radical level. And, um, and, and everybody's a professional victim today. And everybody needs to get on social media <clears throat> and tell everybody how they've been victimized as if we give a fuck. And so it, the, the two things are connected in my mind in that we've never had this kind of radical insight into uh, some royal idiots. And we've never had a criminal at this scale be so radically public. Now, what do these two have in common? They're all three of them are native digitals. And so here's the aha. Now that we're in a native digital world, does this mean when people do something uh, stupid or off-putting, I think most people think about how they threw the queen under the bus as she was dying as pretty shitty. Even if she was a horrible person, I have no idea. But you know what? We were all in mourning. The people of the UK thought she was wonderful. Like, and so let's say she was a wonder. I have no idea. But throwing her under the bus after she's dead, so it, it just seems ridiculous to me. And and all the comments they've made and this sort of this, I have to expose this in my life and I'm this victim and woe is me and this and that and the other. And then you have SBF doing what I find a similar thing, which is, oh, woe is me. I didn't know. Um, dog ate my homework. I some you know, some other people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And now after whatever the incident is, in their case, their desire to leave the monarchy so they could live their life in peace on social media and Netflix. And this guy who just got it wrong, made a mistake. And all I want to do is work to get it right. And so I'm going to go on a speaking tour for 12 hours a day. There's, there's some kind of digital social media exhibitionism around malfeasance. And of course, what Harry and Markle did, maybe not, not malfeasance, but certainly bizarre. And, and so there's this desire to look like I got to live all of it online. Well, you know, your brilliant discussions over the past several months about <clears throat> native digitals and what native analogs kind of need to learn to be able to adapt to this coming new native digital world. Uh, I hope I hope we native analogs can leave that part out. Uh, I, I don't aspire to that thread of the, <clears throat> at least that some native digitals have, excuse me. <clears throat> but Chris, the, yeah, the, 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 the notion of victimhood and then the, that's one thing, but that's an individual choice. I find what's more troubling is that there's uh, a fair amount of acceptance of these things in the public, right? I don't know what, you know, Princess Markle and whoever that guy is, I don't know what they ever did or didn't do, but did I see some number like, didn't Netflix pay them a fairly serious amount of money? Is it 50 million, 100 million now? Could have been 10 billion. Here. Gave them a lot Let's of just... shares in SBF's company. Yeah, I think that's what they were paid in, actually. <laughs> But they still, <laughs> I wish, uh, but they still, you know, assert I'm a victim. Well, how did you get to be known? I guess the guy was a, you know, he served in the British military for a while. and But they never, what did they ever do? I, I don't get it. 
but then they take this money and claim their victims. So it's it's kind of nauseating. But as always, Christopher, you bring a very, very interesting perspective on this. I think especially that notion of, you know, the, the trends of the native digitals, some of them fantastic, some of them okay, some of them not so good. But we, <clears throat> the business world at large, <clears throat> pardon me, we need to be more uh, aware of that. And I think these discussions are always interesting. And I really like this thread you've drawn from people that you'd sure want to spend a lot of time with, right? Bernie Madoff to SBF to uh, Princess and Princess Markle. By the way, I just Googled if uh, if CBSnews.com is correct. They're saying that the company signed a multi-year production deal estimated to be worth 100 to 150 million according to dateline and us weekly as reported by cbs news and all they want is to be left just, alone. i just want to be left alone and and if you pay me 150 million dollars i'll i'll video myself brushing my teeth and but th th this is the insanity uh, of it and the interesting thing that i think will be powerful to watch is when you decide to be so um transparent about your journey you leave all these digital breadcrumbs and you know there was some some debate online about why did the uh fbi move on sam bankman fried the day before he was te going to testify and there's been a lot of speculation about that pure coincidence and, pure coincidence well look here's what i don't know what i know enough about law enforcement to know that there are always things that we don't know so, for example, there could have been a they could have had credible evidence that he was about to go to Argentina or, you know. So in my mind, it seems like it would have been a good thing to have him testify under oath for six to eight hours in front of the U.S. Uh, Congress. However, there are a couple of things. One, there might have been a reason to do it that we're not aware of. Two, the interesting thing is and I, I heard this and I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's an important point. He has given so many interviews that and so and done so much tweeting that um prosecutors might have said hey we got all we need we don't even need to talk to this guy this guy <laughs> this guy told us everything we need to know so <laughs> and so there is an element of you know my father used to say to me hey uh don't forget you can't unring the bell and uh you know and uh, by the way listen to somebody in in congress talk about the cloud <laughs> And you're going to know, well, somewhere in the, I don't know where it is. It's in, it's in the cloud somewhere. Um, so anyway, I think it shows, it shows the ramifications of living a radically digital life that um, I think you got to remember the good, the good words of Bruce Lockhead, who said, you can't unring the cloud or you can't unring the bell and you can't unring the cloud. So if you, if you post that photo of your junk on spankme.com, um, you know, it, it might haunt you forever. <laughs> <laughs> and and you can risk it that then people want to hear about the transparency of the journey that led you to do that and you know maybe the wow wow no one cares well this time as always has flown by thank you sir this is uh not many people on this good earth could tie together uh bernie madoff in the way you did with SBF, with the uh, Farkles to, you know, pull this together in such a unique way. But I thought it was fantastic. 
Well, thanks, Bob. All the best of the holiday season and the new year to you and your family. Happy uh, Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy Christmas, happy all the things that we should be happy about. And can I tell you a secret before we go? Yes, can sir. Anybody? And I have another grandchild in June. Wow. Making more people. Good people. Yeah. Good people. That's All exciting. Right, we, 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 most people don't realize that we need more good people. We do, the, especially the good ones. The good ones, yep. Uh, big booming market for them, Christopher. Maybe that's what we need some um, regulation on. Should there be an IQ test to, to procreate? Well, I didn't hear what you said there. We are going to put the big bow on this. Uh, (laughs) Fantastic. My good friend, Christopher, very, very Merry Christmas. Do you have Love you, Bob. Thanks a million. Always a treat. Thank you, brother. Bye, my friend. Folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live and our good friend, Christopher Lockhead, taking us down some interesting roads that we probably haven't been down before. Might not want to go back again, but it was a fantastic journey. See you next time.